Hello and welcome back to part two of this week's case of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. This is a big case which spans decades, which is why we've chosen to split it up into two episodes, although they're either going to be released on the same day or potentially one one day apart or something, aren't they? But at the same time in the same week. Uh, In episode 11, part A, or what I would like to call part one, uh, we discuss Joseph D'Angelo's crimes as a Vesalia ransacker, East Area rapist and original night stalker. In this part, we will look at how he was caught and hear from some of his brave victims who faced him and had their day in court. We would like to take a moment before we begin again to thank our newest patron supporters. So they are Alison Neary, Karen Barker, Tom Bertles, Alison Dennehy, Lucy O'Connor, Anita, who very kindly edited her pledge, thank you, Sarah Hearn, Katie Chambers and Tom Bertles. And I think there's three others, aren't there, Bethan? Have you got those? Yes. So we also have Jessica Olberg, Rachel Smith and Amara. Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, if you want to join these guys, then all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. If you want to know more about this case after today's episode, I would urge you to read the incredible book I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer is a true crime book by the American writer Michelle McNamara about the investigation to uncover the Golden State Killer. And the book's title is a reference to a direct quote spoken by Joseph D'Angelo to one of his victims. He said to her, you'll be silent forever and I'll be gone in the dark. It's just one of those quotes, a million quotes that he said, and it's horrific, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's really haunting. After becoming interested in the crimes of what was then known as the East Area Rapist, McNamara wrote a 2013 Los Angeles magazine article about the serial killer and ultimately signed a book deal to write about the case. And so this killer rapist burglar she was writing about was known by a number of names. So the names the press give to a criminal and we talked about them a lot in the first section. So they include, but are not limited to, the East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker, Vesalia Ransacker, East Bay Rapist and Diamond Knot Killer. And D'Angelo was responsible for all of these crime sprees, which had been nicknamed in the media, but not linked together at this point. However, we're eventually linked uh, together. It's kind of hard to right. explain, isn't it? In the media, no, I, these I, I were t- independent. I totally get it. That's what I was going to ask is, is at this point, had they been linked and did did the media and did police know? And this Michelle McNamara, did they know that this was all at the hands of one person? So clearly um, they didn't until much later. Yeah, exactly correct. So um, when we go through the investigation, I'll kind of show you where the FBI started to link things. But Michelle McNamara... Or Phoebe, as I like to call them. Of course. Um, she kind of coined the overall title of the Golden State Killer. So she came up with that. And this referenced the fact that he had operated throughout California. And obviously, we do have to remember that police forces didn't share as much information as nowadays. It was impossible to. They didn't have computerised stuff. So these seemed to be... Each area had something happen and then it stopped. And that was then of that until it became linked. And California's a massive state, so... Exactly. Um, you know, this guy's moving around, so yeah, you, there wouldn't necessarily be a reason. And also we've seen that escalation, aren't we, with each kind of different name that is attributed to him. His crimes are getting worse, really. With her book, Two Thirds Completed, on the 21st of April 2016, McNamara died in her sleep due to an accidental prescription drug overdose. So her book ended up being finished by crime writer Paul Haynes, investigative journalist Bill Jensen and McNamara's widower, comedian Patton Oswalt. 
The book was then released on February the 27th, 2018, nearly two years after McNamara's death, and two months later, an arrest was made. How mad is that? Isn't that just sad uh, for, for Michelle that she didn't really get to see all of that, but also was working on what is essentially a masterpiece and um, and just died from this awful um, accidental overdose. I didn't see yeah. that coming at all. She'd so worked sad. so hard. She'd compiled, compiled this full case study of all the crimes committed. She was so invested and involved in this. And yeah, I feel so sad for her. She's not around to see it come to fruition. And the, the, it kind of reminds me um, of, of your book, The New, New Millennium Serial Killer, actually, in terms of the sort of structure. So all these case studies and potentially uh, attributable to one person uh, there as well, isn't it? Yeah. So her book reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list for nonfiction. It remained on the list for 15 weeks. And I'd like to have a bit of hope that she knows about this and the fact that the killer has been caught. I really hope that she can, she knows. Yeah, who knows? It, that could be the case. So as I mentioned at the part at the end of part A or part one, I don't know what I keep calling them different, don't I? But whilst the rapes and murders had ceased, law enforcement were not resting on their laurels. The cases were still being investigated and advances in science meant that DNA evidence that had been retrieved could be looked at in new ways. They could link crimes and they could link groups of cases. Over the years, the FBI worked tirelessly on the cases, and in 2001, a number of cases were officially linked together, so you're right, it was a long time later. Again, they continued to investigate. In 2016, the FBI released more information, along with a composite sketch of the man they were hunting, and a reward of $50,000 was publicised. They stated they would be running a new initiative, which included a national database to support law enforcement officials and their investigating of the crimes to handle tips and to handle their information. And finally, in 2018, there was an arrest. D'Angelo was first charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances and then an additional four counts of first-degree murder. Special circumstances in criminal law are actions of the accused or conditions under which a crime particularly murders, are committed. So such factors then require or allow for a more severe punishment. So this relates to the rapes and the burglaries. And it varies from state to state in America, but this relates to the sentencing element of the trial because those special circumstances and those factors can then have a bearing on death penalty sentences or whether or not a sentence has the chance of parole. So they're really still very important even though it's not the murder. And we we have um very I'm no like expert in British criminal law, but I think we have aggrava- aggravating factors, and yeah. it's the same would apply to sentencing. So, if it's a murder and it's a straightforward murder, then it's kind of you can go up to kind of X amount of years. Uh, but if there are ag- aggravating factors like a sex crime and a murder, and there's there's loads of other aggra- aggravating factors. I think burglary is one as well. I can't remember, but yeah, it's very similar. So as part of a four-month investigation, officials led by Detective Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer uploaded the killer's DNA profile from samples taken from one of the rapes to the personal genomics website GEDmatch. This website is an open-source platform frequently used by members of the public to trace their heritage, and the site identified 10 to 20 people who had the same great-great-great-grandparents as the Golden State Killer. Then a team of five investigators worked with a genealogist to create a family tree from which they could establish two key suspects. 
One of the two was an elderly man now in a nursing home and he was ruled out by further DNA testing. So they were left with one key suspect, Joseph D'Angelo. Oh, this is amazing. That is, because we've heard of that before. And when you said it was like a personal genomics website, I was like, um, is that the kind of website that anyone can just sort of use? So I love that um, they've been able to do a family tree and, and really narrow it down this well. So they then needed to get a covert DNA sample from D'Angelo to confirm. So to do this, they collected a sample from the door handle of his car and then a second from a tissue in his rubbish bin. And both samples were matched with samples associated with Golden State Killer crimes. So this sounds good, right? Yes. Well, there were a lot of concerns raised and debates had about the ethics of the way this killer was caught. Of course, nobody could deny the outcome... But was the way it was achieved good or not? Who gives a fuck? Okay, so we know where you stand on this. Let me still ask our listeners. When D'Angelo was arrested, prosecutors stated that they had used family tree searches to find relatives of the killer and from there arrested D'Angelo. Shortly afterwards, a detective confirmed that the investigative team had uploaded semen from a rape to develop a fresh DNA profile, which was then uploaded to GEDmatch. But what prosecutors didn't disclose is that genetic material from the rape kit was first sent to Family Tree DNA, who created a DNA profile, allowed law enforcement to set up a fake account and then search for matching customers. That only produced distant leads, so they brought in a civilian geneticist working with the investigators to upload the forensic profile to MyHeritage. And it was the MyHeritage site that identified the close relative that helped break the case and both companies denied their involvement at this time. Mm, it, I mean, it's not it's not very ethical and I'd be really annoyed if I was an owner of one of those companies and it, I'd been abused in that way without kind of knowing, I suppose. But ultimately, we've got a conviction off the back of this. The DNA matching effort was more extensive than previously disclosed and it involved covert searches of private dna that was housed by two for-profit companies despite their privacy policies the chief exec of family tree dna later said that he didn't believe that the investigation had violated any terms of service because the terms of service warned that it may be required to release personal information in response to a lawful request by public authorities but they did later change the terms to make it very clear that law enforcement had access to this database and my heritage's privacy policy at the time stated that personal information would only be released if required by law. A corporate executive said the policy did not explicitly address such unprecedented police access, saying it is possible that the geneticist, the civilian, thought that she was not violating our terms of service. So either way, this specific search was not sanctioned. My heritage has since revised its policies to make it clear that such investigations are prohibited. And some legal and privacy experts are concerned that the race to use genealogical databases could have serious consequences, eroding privacy protections and broadening police power. Well, this is this is almost going back to that argument of why don't you just take everybody's like a sample of everybody's DNA at birth and fingerprints and all of that. And that there's obviously arguments for and against it. And we don't have that at the moment. And there's there's real reasons for it. So it's kind of trying to create that through the back door, isn't it? A little bit. Exactly. As with anything, there's going to be downsides. So downsides to using familial DNA searches to arrest and convict criminals. For example, there's instances of the wrong person being arrested and taken to jail. In California, the wrong twin. 
Um, in Texas, police met Jedmatch's new search guidelines by classifying a case as sexual assault, but they only filed burglary charges after making their arrest. So they'd kind of got around getting this, their suspect by going around it in a dodgy way. However, alongside this case, the technology has also led to the conviction of other violent criminals. So, for example, the NorCal rapist. Roy Charles Waller was arrested in September 2018 as a suspect in a series of more than 10 rapes and kidnappings that he committed between 1991 and 2006 in Northern California counties. This was after DNA evidence from crime scenes were matched on Jedmatch to his relative and he was identified through genetics-based genealogy. In this case, the police constructed a family tree again and using the known element of the rapist, they narrowed the suspects down until they caught up with him. He was charged with a total of dozens of counts of rape. They took place in five different counties and he was convicted of 46 counts of rape, sodomy and kidnapping involving nine victims. He was convicted in 2020. In December of 2020, he was sentenced to 897 years in prison. So despite the way D'Angelo was caught, I think no one can disagree the outcome was worth bending the rules slightly for. And the case has yeah. made great strides for cold case reviews. It shows that old DNA samples, if they're stored correctly, can and will be used eventually as science evolves. You might recall me remem- remember me mentioning this in my recent episode, The Long Island Serial Killer. And people are calling for this to be used in the UK to solve cases too. And I think it's a really interesting debate for social media. Yeah, I think we'll um, we'll put a post up on on Facebook and uh, and get you guys involved because I'd love to know what uh, the, what the general kind of consensus is and what people think. And I do, I, don't, I honestly don't know where where I stand with it. I really I wouldn't like to say if I think it's right or, or wrong. I just don't know. But I think we talked a bit about it last week uh, with Adam of how crime solving is going to have to change and adapt over the next 10 to 20 years and that could be involving for example members of the public in investigating crimes and yeah i think i think lots of changes need to come in because the world just evolves so quickly now and maybe this is something that that needs to um happen so back to d'angelo when he was arrested he cryptically talked about an inner personality named jerry in a sort of confession so he was discussing how jerry had forced him to commit the crimes but he was talking to himself at this point so he was kind of talking to himself in the police interrogation room after his arrest and he said i didn't have the strength to push him out he made me he went with me it was like in my head i mean he's a part of me i didn't want to do those things i pushed jerry out and i had a happy life but I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. And genuinely, I think this is the only answer that we're going to be able to give you about why did he stop? So I'm sorry, because I told you earlier that we'd get an answer, but I wanted to keep you on. on no, no, I, I did. I did think you might be a bit sneaky. It kind of kind of makes sense. I mean, there's clearly well, there's got to be some major mental health problem here, hasn't there? So if he's talking about this uh, additional personality that sits within him that made him do all of these things. I don't know exactly what that is, but that's that's some kind of major mental health, um, mental ill health issue. And I just think it's really interesting that he he talks about managing to kind of get rid of Jerry, and that's when the crime stopped. So actually, that does answer that question for me as to why it stopped. He'd managed to reconcile and sort his head out a bit, and 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 stop 
well, get rid of Jerry, basically, whatever Jerry was, whether that was just another part of his personality that he'd managed to work on, or whether it was some form of psychosis, I don't know. D'Angelo couldn't be charged with any of the rapes or burglaries because the statute of limitations had expired for those offences, but he was then charged with the 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. So firstly, prosecutors announced that they were going to seek the death penalty, and the judge ruled that cameras would be allowed in the courtroom. And then next, D'Angelo and his team asked if he could plead guilty, and if he pled guilty, would the death penalty be taken off the table? But this wasn't accepted at that time. And then next, there was the option of a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty, which D'Angelo did agree to. So he pleaded guilty to 13 counts of first-degree murder and special circumstances, as well as 13 counts of kidnapping. But part of this plea deal was that D'Angelo also had to admit to multiple uncharged acts, including rapes, which were then described in horrific detail by prosecutors. And it was this way of getting the victims heard. It gave them a real voice in the surrounds of a courtroom, even though the statute of limitations had expired on the crimes, which I just think is so wonderful and empowering for those victims and their families. Yeah, and not not just for them to to be heard as as victims, but I just love the fact that the the court and the judicial system are almost bypassing this statute of limitations. So we we're sort of acknowledging these other crimes. We're not charging you with them now and holding you accountable, but we are bringing them in uh, to this. So I, exactly. I love that they did that. Definitely. I think that's amazing of them and I'm really pleased and I wondered if something like that might happen as you were saying that it was past the statute of limitations so um, that's great. Numerous victims spoke really bravely in court and because I'm me I'd rather focus on them for the end of the episode I'm going to tell you about them after. So D'Angelo now an old man of 74 offered a brief apology after listening to days of pre-sentencing victim impact statements. He said, I've listened to all your statements, each one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I have hurt. And you just kind of take that as you will. I, I found it really difficult to follow this case and watch him in court because I was I felt very invested in this case and watching him play up to this old man act in court in a wheelchair he got wheeled in he looked all frail he was all hunched over and then there was video of him in his cell he was absolutely fit and able climbing up onto the table sitting on the bench with his legs up he was totally playing up to this I'm 74 I'm old I've got family members who are in their 90s and don't feel like old people And even the prosecution made a point of this. They said he was trying to act older and frailer than he was to try and garner some sympathy. I I kind of don't blame him because he would just be doing what his defence counsel have told him to do. And we saw it with Harvey Weinstein, do you remember, you know, this um, guy sort of walking into court on a bloody Zimmer frame. Um, So we we can all see past it. We know it's all bullshit. But actually his apology, I, I can kind of... Uh, although it's very succinct and brief um he has said i'm truly sorry to everyone i have hurt i think that's a a, whether it's true or not and whether he feels that but that is a full apology it's i mean it's never going to go any way to uh undoing the crimes he committed but that is an apology and we don't get that in lots of other cases no completely agree and he did have to sit there and listen as people described and made him look at them and spoke to him directly, staring him in the eye, saying, you did this to Mm. me, and this is what you did, and this is how it's affected me. And he did then apologise, and he'd taken this plea bargain, knowing full well that he would have to sit through descriptions of his crimes. So, yeah. 
But do do you think an element of him might have actually reveled in that? I just don't know. Yeah, and this is what frustrates story. me with him because he loved ringing yeah. people and chatting about it. But then equally, if he'd got rid of Jerry and he'd been living his normal life for a long time, I wonder if he felt like, actually, I deserve this. I just don't know. I think you're probably right. I think if Jerry is gone, then the real the real human is, is hearing that and reacting in a more, um, pro- like, a, a normal way. Um, so, yeah, I do like to think that he wasn't getting off on it. And within the court, nobody had sympathy. They didn't really listen to this act that he was putting on on august the 21st 2020 d'angelo received multiple consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole and the judge described this as the absolute maximum that he could sentence him to and said the survivors have spoken clearly the defendant deserves no mercy and the courtroom erupted into what was described as thunderous applause i think because this whole case feels like a movie it almost became like something untrue as well. And it, it to then have this real, it's a real court case. It's not some urban legend. Actually, this is a real man and he sat right there and we can bring him to justice. I think people really were moved by that. I feel like this needs to be the next, what what is it called? Like American Crime Story? Yeah. You know, they did mm-hmm. OJ Simpson, they then when did... When they had What's-His-Face from Friends and he played... Oh, David Schwimmer. He played the Kardashian guy. Yeah. And then we had the second series, which was um, Andrew Kananen and the murder of Do you know what? We should get in touch with the TV producer people and tell them this because I totally agree. I'll arrange a conference call for Monday. Thank you. So I thought I'd end this part of the episode with mentioning just a small selection of people. So it's a really, really small selection of the people who spoke at the trial or afterwards. And I want to really remember the victims and their bravery or their family's bravery instead of Joseph D'Angelo. So do you remember Jane Carson Sandler, the woman whose three-year-old had also been tied up while she was raped? She told him, looking directly at him whilst holding up her book that she'd written called Frozen in Fear, which, by the way, you need to try and find because it's an incredible... It was before... It was just talking about her experiences and how she wasn't going to let him own her and stuff. She said, and it was before he was caught, I think she wrote it um, in the 90s, I think. I'm not 100%. She said to him, if it wasn't for the trauma I endured, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I am proud of what I have accomplished. I am blessed beyond words. My comfort at those times is remembering that you are finally going to prison and will remain there until you die. I don't think she could have chosen her words any more carefully because it's it's taken all of that power back from him, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, Gay and Bob Hardwick, the couple that we talked about before, they um, both spoke in court and they were really, really moving. Um, a woman called Winnie Schultz, her son Pete had been home during an attack that his mum had suffered at the hands of D'Angelo. D'Angelo had tied him to a bedpost until his hands turned blue and locked his sister in a bathroom in order to attack their mother. After that night, Pete's father went to bed with a baseball bat and his sister would sleep under her bed. He spoke in court for his mum and in addressing D'Angelo, he said, I was 11, my sister was five and we were sleeping peacefully with our mother. Do you remember me? We have all survived because of her bravery and her resolve to do whatever it took to save herself and her family. While we have all suffered for 44 years, your suffering, sir, has just begun. 
May she enjoy the sun on her face, the love in her heart, listening to her grandkids talk on the phone, and sleep well tonight knowing that you are gone and the boogeyman is done. Chris Pedretti had been a teenager when she was attacked and four decades on she still offered support to people who have survived sexual assault and she said before the hearing that she hoped to show D'Angelo that he didn't win and her statement included the following he tormented me and told me over and over he would kill me and I believed him at three different times that night I thought I was going to die D'Angelo stole my formative years he stole my youth my innocence my faith and my trust who could I have grown up to be I guess I will never know And she told him, your secrets have been exposed, your double life is over, the world, and I mean the entire world, knows who you are and what you did. You will forever be known as a repulsive coward who hid behind a mask of evil. These people are just so eloquent, aren't they? Yeah, and we we see it all the time when when we um, read these victim impact statements. Can you imagine being in court and hearing one of these survivors Mm -hmm. um, say that? Just one is incredible, let alone... absolutely. And this, I feel, this is this is D'Angelo's worst punishment, really. Um, forget being incarcerated, because he's nearly at the end of his life anyway. But I think this, this would have been the worst punishment for him to go through at this point, hearing all of this from them and how, that how they have gone on to um, use these awful things that have happened to them as a force for good and to do good and to yeah. be good and to, to lead authentic lives. He's not anymore. Yeah. No, he would have hated this. Patricia Murphy was raped as a 29-year-old mother of two in her parents' home by D'Angelo, and afterwards he drank her father's beer and ate snacks from the pantry before stealing her car. The attack left her with post-traumatic stress disorder, she was fearful of any loud noises, and her daughter read her statement out to the court, saying... So this is Patricia talking, but her daughter was reading it on her behalf... I never felt safe for many years. I was always looking over my shoulder expecting someone to jump out at me. He punched me in the face and broke my nose. I had a concussion from falling backwards and hitting my head on the pavement. I did what I had to do to stay alive. It is my hope that you punish him to the full extent of the law for the horrific crimes he committed. He truly is an evil monster with no soul. And Patricia's daughter, whose heart must have been absolutely breaking reading this that her mum's written, she added... He's not feeble, which was a direct reference to D'Angelo acting up this elderly status. Literally called him out on it in court. Mary Burwert was 13 years old. She was enjoying the summer holidays before she went to school in eighth grade when she was raped in June 1979. She described to the court this awful whole situation and she basically described in really graphic detail to them. She had to break the bindings that were tying her legs and open her bedroom door with her hands tied behind her back. She went through to her parents' room to wake her parents and basically say what had happened. And she told the court how her dad had cried as she told him she had been raped. She explained to the court how the rape had shattered her childhood from undergoing a rape kit to seeing pain on her parents' faces. And she said... He stole my innocence, my security, threatened my life, threatened the lives of my family. But she then said that when the prosecutors told her that D'Angelo was going to admit to his crime against her, a weight was lifted off her shoulders. She said, I had no idea how heavy this weight was. I had been carrying it for so long. 13-year-old Mary needed justice. If only back then someone could have said to me with confidence that one day he'd be caught, I can't help but think what of a difference that would have made for my future. And then the final person to hear from is Claude Snelling's daughter, Beth. 
She said of her father, who was shot protecting her, he would have been a wonderful grandpa. What sickens and angers me the most is that D'Angelo was able to live a normal life with his family all those years, while my family and I could not be with my dad. I am so thankful that he will at least spend the rest of his miserable life in prison. And what a way to end this two-parter. So there we go, guys. Thank you for joining us on this crazy, crazy case and all the twists and turns of it. And I'm I'm quite glad that you hadn't you didn't know much about the case, Mark. I I've enjoyed being able to kind of tell you about it because it's one that I've always been fascinated by. And when we then found out who he was in 2018, I mean that was just incredible to to witness as a true crime fanatic. So I kind of wish I'd been following it because I can imagine how that would have felt because there's so many crimes that just become legend and we just we we never get to the bottom of them and and find out who was responsible so all these years later with something as high profile as this to to finally get an answer would have yeah that would have been a really special day wouldn't it when when that um came out so but but yeah i i think the reason i i i kind of knew of this but the reason i i'd not followed it and didn't know much is because i think i'd just got confused with all the different names he'd been given at the different times of his offending so i i actually didn't really i thought they were all different people i'd heard of them and it was all just too much really too all encompassing so i avoided this a bit when I, i'd see articles on it or whatever so mm. so yeah thank you you did a great job um thank i love you. how we, we split into part a and part two so um yeah <laughs> fantastic part, a, part two part one part b <laughs> yeah part i i um great so yeah let us know we'll, we will put a, a post up on the the facebook group won't we and um get in touch and tell us what you think of this and and the different uh, aspects to the case and uh, don't forget to check out our show sponsors we'll put uh details in the show notes and equally if you want to sign up and support us on patreon please head over to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast and uh, we will see you next week for another case see you then